Shalom, everyone. This is Elliot Schoenberg, the International Director of Placement for the Rabbinical Assembly. Welcome to Chodesh Tov. This is Rosh Chodesh ER. Chodesh Tov is a series of podcasts sponsored by the Schechter Rabbinical School in Jerusalem, Jewish Theological Seminary America in New York, the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies in Los Angeles, and the International Rabbinical Assembly. Our guest scholar today is Dr. Jonathan Rosenbaum, President Emeritus, Professor Emeritus of Gratz College in Philadelphia, and in the Visiting Scholar at the University of Pennsylvania. This topic is Erasing Histories, Erasing History, Antiquities Looting, Scholarly Forgeries, and a Way to Stop Them. Thank you, Professor Rosenbaum. Thank you, Rabbi Schoenberg. Last fall, I had the opportunity to attend a conference and give a paper at the American Schools of Oriental Research. A colleague of mine, Catherine McDonald of UCLA, presented a paper as well, except that her paper sounded more like a movie plot than a traditional excavation report. She spoke about the fact that she had been contacted by the Department of Homeland Security and had been enlisted by them to examine antiquities that were being sold in Los Angeles. She agreed to participate with them, and their team eventually discovered not only a storefront, but a warehouse where thousands of artifacts had been secreted, carefully marked and crated for sale. They are thought to have a retail value of $100 million. As you might expect, numerous small seals, coins, jewelry, pottery, and glass were recovered. However, massive architectural pieces, including column capitals and friezes, many weighing hundreds of pounds, materials previously assumed to be beyond the capabilities of smugglers to move, much less sell, were also prominent in this illicit cache. Destined for interior decoration in upscale homes, these immense fragments documented a new era in a burgeoning illegal market. History's witnesses, I would now argue, artifacts that constitute the primary evidence of the, of the past are in jeopardy. A huge trade in illicit Near Eastern antiquities involving tens of thousands of items annually has developed unbounded by international borders. And that trade is becoming big business. Individual objects can fetch six or even seven figures. The demand for objects, particularly ones that directly relate to the biblical or classical period and their texts, is profound in the 20th century. Forensic reports suggest that forgers with advanced academic training are lending their skills to producing numerous technically sophisticated fakes. And in the process, these talented counterfeiters are corrupting the primary sources that archaeologists and historians, our teachers, often use to reconstruct the past. Despite these ongoing losses the world's cultural, to the world's cultural heritage, no effective solution has been implemented to date. Iraq's a textbook case. 
Revised figures <clears throat> regarding the Iraq Museum collection suggest that it has lost something on the order of 13,000 to 15,000 pieces. But it's far greater than that, this loss. Professor Elizabeth Stone of SUNY Stony Brook did a survey in which she concluded that 16 square kilometers, roughly 6.1 square miles of ancient Iraqi sites have been looted. That area is four times greater than all the sites in Iraq that have been legally excavated over the past century. Major Iraqi sites vary in the extent of the looting, but Eric Myers of Duke, who many of us may know for his cantorial as well as archaeological abilities, has said that as of 2004, he estimated 150,000 or more cuneiform tablets were currently being looted and illegally smuggled out of Iraq every year. In 2009, a scholar from the University of Chicago, Lawrence Rothfield, published a chilling indictment named The Rape of Mesopotamia, in which he showed these losses and linked them to the lack of protocols that continue to allow Iraq's heritage to leak from its borders. Iraq's not alone. Those of us who are interested particularly in ancient Israel note that this applies to Israeli work as well. The James Ossuary, of which I'm sure many listeners will be well aware, was made known to the public about 2002. It is a bone box on which was inscribed the words, Jacob the son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Professor André Lamaire, one of the great scholars of Semitics at the Sorbonne, took the position that this particular inscription could be, quote, the earliest artifact ever found relating to historical Jesus. Adi Yardeni at the Hebrew University, one of the great Semiticists of the world, also argued for its authenticity. But Professor Myers at Duke, Professor McCarter, Kyle McCarter at Hopkins, and Guido Navni, the Director of Excavations and Surveys of the Israel Antiquities Authority, all took the view that this was questionable, if not an outright forgery. The James inscription was followed by the announcement of the Yehoash inscription, an inscription that is said to go back to the Judean king of the 8th century, also found in a private collection just a year after the James ossuary. And again, people, scholars looked at it, paleographers attacked it, some philologists found it linguistically questionable, and Yuval Goren, a, a major Israeli scholar, did chemical analyses, which many thought delivered the coup de grace, but I can tell you con controversies continue. Chaim Cohen of Ben-Gurion University said that he's not sure what it is, but if it is a forgery, it's a brilliant forgery. And most oddly, Bob Simon of 60 Minutes actually interviewed an Egyptian artist, Marco Sama Gatas Shukri, who admitted that he personally manufactured the Yehoash inscription. Hatas is a, an associate of Oded Golan, who, together with four others, was indicted by the Israeli government on charges that uh, they had been involved in forgeries and 
that they had misused antiquities. Interestingly, that trial began in 2005, concluded in 2010, and the verdict was just announced last month. The two remaining defendants, Mr. Golan and Robert Deutsch, a serious scholar of the ancient Near East, were both found innocent, and that itself is a tale that is worthy of learning for all of us. Indeed, the issue of antiquities goes back quite a distance. Some of you may have had a good dairy meal at the Tycho House in Jerusalem on Harav Cook Street. There, in the 19th century, Moses Wilhelm Shapira, a Jew by birth who converted to Christianity, became aware of the Mesha Stele and used it as a foundation for manufacturing all kinds of forgeries. He sold vast numbers of them to the Berlin Museum, made himself a wealthy man, and was only found out when he tried to sell some ancient leather strips containing different versions of the Ten Commandments to the British Museum. Then a great scholar of the day, Clermont Garneau, exposed him. The fact is that prevention of both the illicit antiquities trade and forgeries has been anemic. There are white, gray, and black markets. On the one hand, Egypt and Jordan and Lebanon, Greece and Italy, have all outlawed the sale and export of antiquities. On the other hand, those antiquities continue to be exported. In Israel, the, the Israel Antiquities Authority licenses dealers. The best known of them is probably a, a scholar by the name of Robert Deutsch, that defendant, now totally cleared, who was a doctoral student at Tel Aviv University, is taught at Haifa, and is the head of a company called the Archaeological Center, which about twice a year runs important auctions. The most recent I found, which are clearly published, included about 300 lots of antiquities, which fetched about $237,000. Deutsch is a precise scholar and has vouched for the materials that come to him. Antiquities dealers whom I have interviewed in Jerusalem confirmed that many of their wares come from the archaeological center's auctions. But frankly, Deutsch's Numbers, that is to say the $237,000 are dwarfed by places like Sotheby's. On its website, Sotheby's points out that in the last five years or so, it has sold $167 million worth of Egyptian classical and Western Asiatic antiquities. These have attracted a great deal of interest. And we even find that there are attempts by just traditional vendors to sell antiquities. A Las Vegas vendor uses antiquities to make jewelry. Codes of ethics have failed. The structure of protecting these rare materials no longer is in place and probably never was. And the academy, which used to protect the possibility of forgeries by careful analysis of materials that were not found in situ in archaeological context through a careful paleographically can no longer attest that paleographical scholarly analysis, chemical analysis, or philological analysis 
is sufficient to prove the difference between a forged object and one that is genuine. There are attempts to try to pressure those who have unprovenanced antiquities by barring them from publications. The Archaeological Institute of America, the American Schools of Oriental Research, and others will not publish such materials in their journals, but even they have a loophole since if materials are published in other publications, they can then be published in their journals as well. The fact is that legal works, by and large, legal uh, positions have not been successful, and the only real solution to this entire issue is to produce a universal database, a 21st century solution in the age of antiquities, looting, and forgery. This base, this database, is fundamental because time is not on the side of history. If looting and forgeries are to be substantially reduced, if not eliminated, really radical approaches must be used. A universal database would include all unpublished ancient inscriptions, all unprovenanced antiquities that may be of commercial value, all provenanced antiquities. That is to say they would include materials about each piece that is owned by a private collector, antiquities dealer, the finder, excavations which often protect their materials in storehouses, and also in government storehouses, universities, and museums. This universal database is probably the only means of protecting the legitimacy of the ancient historical witnesses that antiquities, inscriptions, and other such materials represent. It will require amnesty and alliances between scholars and private collectors, something that has not historically been done. It will require finders, people out in the desert perhaps who pick up these materials, to be registered and to be guaranteed some protection once they are part of it. And it will probably require a law like the Treasure Act of 1996 in the United Kingdom, which actually rewards finders. A guy by the name of Terry Herbert, a jobless man living on welfare, as he was described, found a treasure of Anglo-Saxon materials and is now expected to reap perhaps millions of dollars because the government will sell them to scholarly institutions and Mr. Herbert will be the recipient of those sales. There is a profound need to combat forgery. There are attempts, but they are haphazard. Sites need to be preserved. When you and I can buy an alarm system that protects our house for a few hundred dollars, it seems hard to comprehend why archaeological sites cannot be protected electronically as well. This despite the fact that the Israel Antiquities Authority estimates that there's something on the order of 20,000 sites in Israel alone that would in one form or another need some protection. The Near East and the Mediterranean are not unique. Looting and illicit markets and forgeries are robbing cultures from pre-Columbian South and Central America to Native America to Europe and East Asia. And the proposals that I'm making here, which I outlined in a paper I hope to publish soon, really need to be implemented sooner rather than later. 
for us in the conservative movement who care about history, who are committed to Wissenschaft des Judentums, who understand the ideals of critical scholarship, it is vital to be able to respond to any who disagree in an intellectual and careful, caring way. It is sad to point out that there are those in the Palestinian Authority, going back to Yasser Arafat, including Mahmoud Abbas and professors periodically at Palestinian universities, as well as the WAF, the Islamic Authority charged with oversight of holy places, all of which have taken the position that ancient Israel doesn't exist and certainly Jews don't relate to it. Conservative Judaism is committed to the ideal of critical scholarship and it is up to us to inform our communities, not only as an intellectual exercise, but as a means of encouraging them to speak to legislators who, with a relatively small amount of allocations, could guarantee the cultural heritage of the world. Forgeries and illicit traffickers will probably always exist, but scholars and society can counteract them by developing and enforcing protocols Universal, a universal database, things that will preserve the facts that are literally on the ground. To do so is vital. To do less imperils history and heritage themselves. Thank you very much. We are indebted to Professor Jonathan Rosenbaum for his scholarly analysis today. This is for Chodesh Tov. We are celebrating Rosh Chodesh Iyar. This has been Professor Jonathan Rosenbaum, Professor Emeritus at Graz College. This is Elliot Schoenberg, the International Director of Placement for the Rabbinical Assembly, wishing everyone a Chodesh Tov. Chodesh Tov. Elliot? Hello? 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 Hello?